Music, a force that heals, strengthens, unites, and motivates. It saves us, and it makes us, and no one knows this more than the fan. We wear it like armor, we soundtrack our lives to it, and we open doors with it. But most of the time, our stories go untold. I'm Becca Lee, and this is a podcast for anyone who has ever loved a band more than anything. We are believers, and believers never die. Okay, so for today's episode, we're going to be talking to my friend Randall, who is a music performance major, um, a horn player, and we're going to be talking about his musical journey and a lot about orchestral classical music and Beethoven and that kind of thing. As always, thank you so much for listening to Believers Never Die, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So, what was your first, like, experience with music? What is, like, your first musical memory? Um, I don't know. Uh, my mom always said I kicked around in the womb to certain songs. But I think that's a normal fetal thing. Uh, but I do have memories of, uh, I wanted a drum set really, really bad really bad for like years and i would like gather things up to um make one like i think i had my mom used to work at uh o'reilly's and i think i had like one of those trying to get like keychain things little plastic containers like bulbous and flat on the bottom so it could sit but I would use it as like a tom. There was this like fishing chair that made like a similar sound to a snare drum, things like that. And I would try to play along with songs. And this was in like probably first through fourth grade I did stuff like that. And I finally got a drum set in fifth grade. And then, tr- like, yeah, I, I realized I just went into like my life story. I mean, that's fine. That That's kind of, I mean, it's kind of what I want is just to mm-hmm. know like how, how you were introduced to music. Do you remember, um, I think more specifically, like being a fan of something? Like what is the first memory you have of like being a fan of music? I really liked ACDC growing up, I guess. That's like the first band I remember liking. Uh I I always had to know every like for some reason as a kid, if I liked the song, I would like look look really deep into like the people that made it and all of that to the point where like you could ask me if I was listening to something that I owned, I could tell you a lot about it. I was never like a specific fan of something; it was always changing. Okay, I mean, that's fair. Like, well, I, I know I did the normal thing kids do where you listen to the things your parents listen to as a kid, and then you listen to the things that your parents don't want you to listen to as a teen, and then your parents don't know what you listen to when you're an adult. So, 
Yeah. Um, I know that you were a fan of Slayer, though. So you had that kind oh of thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's like the first group. I'll say I was like a super fan for a while. The issue uh, with like God, thinking about that is just the it's like the thrash metal and like all those subgenres and metal in general it stopped having punk influences and just became edgy and then it just bled over into people being racist quote jokingly but uh being able to disguise it behind edginess like i hate everybody but i'm I'm gonna talk about a specific group of people and then um yeah really makes you like not like that type of music when you grow up yeah but it definitely like helped you get into other things that you enjoy now i would say you you traced thrash back to like the hardcore punk scene and then you realize that uh there's some pretty cool stuff there some pretty not so racist things yeah (laughs) And but I mean, like, as far as like your like, if you look at the things that you like now, because I know you like more, I don't know, you like Aphex Twin and like Machine Girl and shit like that. There's still that kind of sort of I don't know ethos there. Like there's there's, yeah, like I would say that you could say like start with Slayer and see your progression in the same way that I could start with like MCR and see my progression. I mean, yeah. Uh, You'd hope you could do that with a lot of things. I would feel bad for someone who had like a total like 180. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's weird though, because like it's it's really hard to say, like be in school for music and be doing all this orchestral stuff and know all this like arguably useless information about like performance practice and like music history relevant to like uh the the common practice periods and stuff and then go yeah so like i was really interested in slayer so i thought i would go to school for music (laughs) well i mean i think in a lot of ways that that that's kind of how it's been with like my other guest where um like trey was talking about how you know, he can tie that direct line from like, I started listening to Green Day. I got really into, you know, drums and stuff. And then I ended up um, doing what I'm doing now. We're doing what he's doing now, which is, you know, percussion and a music education major and all of that. Like you, you could see the progression in yeah. that way. So I don't think it's like that off to say because everybody starts somewhere like you have to be introduced to music and like you have to find that passion somewhere yeah it's it's interesting for sure um like the the most like memorable (laughs) memory let me let me let me not say it like that the most vivid memories i have with music are always the the points in time of why i'm playing certain things like I really wanted to learn drum set because I thought, wow, this this like driving stuff and that in the background of music is really cool. I like that. 
and then got into band they weren't letting too many percussionists so i was like well crap what am i gonna what am i gonna do if they're not gonna let me play something i'm already learning because there's too many already and then i was supposed to play clarinet and then i said no and for some reason they took that and said okay you can play trumpet so i played trumpet uh and then in high school i think we had to learn this piece called like moscow 1941 or something and the band director was like, I really would like if we had a horn to do these like parts. And I was like, I'll do it. Never got to play that. I don't think I've ever played that in my life. But uh, that was why I started horn. And then I started looking into more like the horn repertoire. And it, it blew the trumpet stuff out of the water. I loved it. Like I, I had never heard something quite like. Um, which one is. I think Mozart fourth horn concerto. Nothing I ever compared to that when I was a child or a teen. Yeah, because like I know, like you comparatively, like you're always kind of like trumpet fucking sucks, like all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it it's just loud. Like that's really all it has going for it. It's uh, it. I could sit here and tell you the whole thing behind why um, horn wins out against trumpet repertoire-wise and what it can do, but uh, it really just comes down to uh, the horn got to play a scale first, and that that uh, that really pushes it into the main bit of stuff as far as that is concerned. Yeah. Or in the orchestra and solo and so on. What is your first musical memory that you would say is like was like a catalyst for the rest of your life musically and career-wise since you were a musician? Um, this is really weird to say out loud. Uh I was on YouTube one day and I used to listen to like a lot of like just I used to just have like YouTube music. This is before it was YouTube music and it was a bunch of illegal uploads. Um, don't give record companies your money. Make sure you give it to the artists. And uh, I I forgot what, I guess I'd YouTube something like I was playing in band at the time. But eventually, Rite of Spring by Igor Stravinsky was recommended recommended to me i never listened to it all the way through it get not to sound like a complete dickhead it gets kind of boring it's if it's 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 composed to be seen on stage it's a ballet but that opening bassoon solo was so moving and the way it flourishes and you you see you can envision it you see this like lush green it you don't know what these plants you know there's a lot of them you you feel all these flowers bloom off of from this solo going forward like there's so much like there's so many moving parts and then it it, it just hits you it's like oh yeah it's spring 
and I mean, that's very intentional for sure. Stravinsky was not a bad composer, quite the opposite, but you, uh, you, you listen to it and you're just like, wow, that's cool. I want to do that. And it's just things adjacent to that, that feeling of, wow, I want to do that. It's like, um, I also went to go see the Alabama symphony I, I was trying to remember, remember their actual name but it's in tuscaloosa tuscaloosa symphony that's yeah. all it is i just you think about the ua but you go to I, they had a russian spectacular or whatever and it had like um 1812 overture and a few others but i mean everyone's a fan of the ending of 1812 overture that's just it's just such a spectacle yeah of music it's just it's thing it's those very key moments of like wow that's cool i want to do that over and over again where you kind of realize okay i apparently really want to do that i'm gonna go try to do that so like what in like when you you said talking about these experiences where you're like wow what are some other experiences that like happened throughout your life that you had those moments with because like i had a lot of those moments kind of in a different way where like the first time I heard dance dance I was like at at my grandma's and like I remember laying on the ground in front of the tv and like it was so fast and so like different from anything else I had heard at that point because I was like I don't know seven or eight or whatever and I remember having that kind of moment of like wow I want more of this forever like, do you have other moments that are kind of like, I don't know, maybe not inherently related completely to like orchestral stuff, but did you have those moments with like, like a specific artist, specific band, or even with like, because I know you like Beethoven, maybe with Beethoven, with anything like that? Yeah, I was going to say, I think every Beethoven symphony has a few moments of it's just like, I'm I'm really pissed. There's only nine of these. <laughs> it's crazy to think there is only um, nine. Yeah, especially when other composers had like forty, and Haydn had like a hundred thirty. Holy fuck! How's he doing that? Uh, it's what happens when you live in the middle of nowhere. And you got shit else to do. And you are again like Haydn was a Haydn composed exclusively. For the Esterhazy family, somewhere in um, Hungary, I want. I don't think you know the answer to this, but to any listener, that Magyar people, I do believe is the term. Mm-hmm. I do believe that's Hungarian, that Austria, Austro-Hungarian area. Um, but yeah, it. It's just insane. And it's so crazy the superstition that came after that. It's insane what like happened unintentionally. It like it is it's always weird because I'll hear like I was in like the youth symphony until like the age gap or the age limit or whatever. And it was so weird hearing all these kids say like Beethoven's overrated and all this. And it's just like, what are you talking about? I don't think you actually like and I guess obviously I have like had to go through music history where you see like 
everything kind of naturally progressed. This makes sense. This is going in this direction. Uh, like Baroque music starts happening, then Bach happens, and then music starts being classical because his sons were kind of experimenting with how you did musical feeling and all this. But like Beethoven came out of nowhere and he made music a very personal matter and he made it everyone else's problem. Yeah. And that's that's why it's so like cool that that Beethoven happened. Because it's like me. we were talking about and, earlier and like, um, about how he kind of has that rock star punk like vibe. Yeah. And ethos. I like that word. Yeah. I mean, it's the aesthetic of like you can almost track. And I'm I, I'm probably being dramatic when I say this. You you probably have to skip a few steps and fudge some numbers, but you can track in Beethoven's compositional life, popular music or the subgenre, the subcultures from the seventies to now. You could probably track that in Beethoven's life really bombastic youthful uh his third symphony is really crazy it 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 does all this stuff that like people weren't doing at all at the time or at least people that were popular i should say because there's a lot of composers that were around some just didn't have the popularity to stick but um yeah you have all this young bombastic music going his third through his fifth his fifth symphony is really grim, serious. And he kind of has this like, uh, I'll just loop back to this point, but um, his seventh symphony is really n- normal, whatever. His And then the ninth happens. The ninth is just a whole behemoth of a symphony. And you, you could track that as like, there's kind of some like, hey, I'm going against what's normal counterculture. It's not quite punk rock levels of like counterculture, but it's there. Um, into a more like comfortable phase with his fifth and seventh symphony, where you have kind of a grim, serious opener. And it's like all these thematic things about like fate and whatever throughout. And, and then the seventh just being all around a emotional roller coaster almost. But um, if you go back and look in between, this is another thing. I could literally, I will, I will actually, I will tell you in this pot in this in this call everything that Beethoven started superstitiously <laughs> that kind of didn't stick, but kind of you can see trends. Um. Odd numbered symphonies had to be like groundbreaking for some reason with Beethoven. Yeah. And that's he, he his first symphony was everyone knew there was some weird stuff in it, but it wasn't crazy. It was still very much like, oh, you're young, but there's a lot of promising material. Third symphony actually changed everything. <laughs> um, changed the way we formatted symphonies, changed the way we thought about the tonality of music at the time there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on um five is the fifth symphony everyone blah, 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 blah. 
blah, 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 blah. is very famous. He got it from someone knocking. It's the hand of fate. Crazy stuff sometimes from this guy. Uh, Seventh Symphony is just another powerhouse. Not a lot of people know it, but it's super strong. Super strong writing. Yeah. And then everyone also knows major parts of the Ninth Symphony. But that, that, that whole thing was just like a predestination for himself like i don't know at what point he was like i'm gonna drive in a coverless carriage in the winter and die but that whole thing is like this journey into heaven or something it's a very spiritual symphony and then you go back and his 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 odd numbered symphonies or even numbered sorry are just like not unimpressive but they're different they show a different emotion in each of them like second symphony is kind of just it's really it's a lot of parts of it are really fragile like i think of anything i think of from the second symphony is just rather delicate things fourth symphony is another one that's just like this is this is very joyful but nothing much else is happening other than just being like just happy yeah. uh uh, sixth symphony i do believe if i'm thinking correctly that is actually another turning point in music where we started to actually stopped being absolute it wasn't music for music which it never was it was never music for music's sake um but you started to see this like explicit imagery being conveyed like uh what's the opening um a gay arrival uh a storm comes over the fields um i think the last movement of that is it's based on some farmer song but it's uh it's like the storm passes quietly and everything is fine stuff like that it's like these really images uh movement heading yeah because it kind of like it reminds me like when you talk about this kind of stuff about like um which obviously i'm not as familiar with orchestral stuff and understanding that kind of thing but it definitely has kind of the vibe that like like the way that they work in, in that regard the vibe that like concept how albums have today where it's like it it tells a story instead of it just being you know yeah and that's because you can't you just cannot do absolute music anymore it beethoven came around did that and then tone poems started to catch on because you couldn't make a symphony anymore because Beethoven's Ninth Symphony happened. People who wrote symphonies were like clinging to a dead animal at this time. Like, you sure you had a few? You had, I think, Schubert right after Beethoven, but in my opinion, his symphonies just sound like Beethoven was it was it people just like, kind of like, well, I can't do better than this, so I'm just going to give up? Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, actually. Like it, it genuinely was such a cultural like wow, I am screwed. Ah. So people stopped calling it symphonies. They stopped writing absolute music. They everything shifted to. This is this that was the greatest thing we could ever accomplish. We could we have to move on to something else. It was that mindset that drove people to 
give you um, things like Symphony Fantastique, which is just someone overdosing on opium. Like it's a, it's a strict story happening. Um, Richard Strauss is a very famous uh, tone poem writer, and he it all happened just because all of the, the you couldn't write symphonies anymore. There wasn't a point. Though granted, by the time Richard Strauss started writing his tone poems, like it had already been an established like genre of writing from uh, Liszt, Wagner, all even though Wagner mainly did operas. But by the time you get towards late romanticism, modernism, it, it, it didn't matter. Tonality was gone as they knew it at the time. Um, yeah, like you just, you had to pick up what you, what was popular at the time and, and go with it. Cause music was the same roughly in the same language for 300 years like you you just had to it it just snapped people finally got tired of it in what way would you say that like i guess going off of that like obviously there's so much impact and that everything happens because other things happen but what would you say in your opinion is like the most lasting impact of beethoven on like modern music now um emotion very very personal emotion uh see that's what i thought you were going to say because i'm no i'm glad you said that because i couldn't find a way to go back and talk about his piano sonatas um a lot of music at the time it feels so annoying having to give like a history lesson but for some context a lot of music was just recycled thematic material. And I'm sure Beethoven is no different, but you, if you track notes that he wrote to people with the sonatas that came out around the time and like sketches of them and, and various things like that, if you track all this information and line them up, you see that Beethoven would have felt really cool and really good about himself when something that was a bit more cheerful happened musically. Um, the very famous um, pathetic sonata, which is just a word that means very emotional, uh, was published, I do, if I'm recalling correctly, shortly after he started to come to grips with his hearing loss and it drove him suicidal like he was really really tempted to just die and you have all this emotional like really gripping music and you didn't get that introspection before people weren't putting their feelings like a journal into things that were getting popular yeah if that makes any sense like people everyone plays these or knows these like these are common pieces now yeah so so you know what i'm gonna ask just, though right do, do you think that that beethoven is in some way responsible for emo <laughs> uh yeah i think i think you could say a lot of things are because it, it's it sounds like such an old man thing i'm only 24 and i already feel this like like oh, I've seen this stuff already. Like 
it it's weird to see or look back and see rock music to skyrocket coming out of like what the 50s 40s 50s 60s rock music skyrockets and then it has its high time and then the new cool instruments come out and then recently that, that would be a computer yeah. not to sound like a crotchety old man i think it's fine that people use computers for things not everything has to be played that's fine uh, it's a different set of skills. That's that's fine. Um, the computers rise and people start realizing that music is no longer about, oh, crap, I only have a clarinet, a flute, uh, a, a bass, and and a, a kick drum, like a bass drum. What could I write for that? What, 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 who would want to listen? What could I write that people would want to listen to for that? Now it's I have almost infinite sounds, but how do I maintain something that is so ingrained in local culture, I guess, because I mean, I don't want to speak for the whole globe, but local culture, how do I, how do I do something that with these infinite sounds, like pick and choose to create something that is musically feasible and then work on it from there? Like that's that's what's so impressive to me about like digital music, electronic music is is it's just these people's ability to grab sounds like like Bob for apples almost, and then just be like, ah, this would sound good. I'm gonna use that, and then go back in and ah, oh, this would sound good with that. It's like. It's like cooking if you had everything all at once. It's like you could make it with everything and it would suck. Or you can find something that works with another something that works with a third something and then balance it out to make a nice, like, equilateral triangle. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it... Think things come, things go. I'm impressed that or orchestral music has tried to hold on as long as it did has. Not to say that I think it should go away. Sim like there are a lot of, of symphonic works that you cannot listen to a recording of. You just can't. No recording can get you the the audio quality or the the. The ability to listen to everything quite like going live yeah. is. And I'm sure there's a lot of other bands, but like this music wasn't written for a studio. Yeah, it was written for to fill this is rooms. The problem. Not even just to fill rooms. It was written. Well, at some point it was back in like the classical period. Once you get toward the romantic era, that's when people actually went to concerts publicly, popularly. That got popular real fucking fast. But um yeah, it's it's all made to be heard in these very elaborately designed buildings to where you can I I don't know anything about audio for real, but where you can catch all the mids, you can hear the lows and the highs and all these sounds like just get you it's really you feel it. it you don't have to be like, oh, I, 
that that really important part is just somehow lower than everything else. And it's because they can't raise the mixing without ruining the delicate balance that they already managed to get in the recording. Yeah. I'm trying to think of um, something else to ask because I'm honestly brain dead because I'm tired. Um, hmm. How long has this been going? Uh, I don't even know. I could probably talk about something more modern than classical music. Uh, yeah, but what would you actually want to talk about? Uh, that I think it's very important to acknowledge that classical music isn't necessarily the pop music of now, as Paul McCartney said, but rather a oldest time tradition of people to express themselves and it's annoying that it's such a that all arts have gone through this it's kind of annoying that because i guess i don't want to get political I mean, you can go ahead and get political keep it short. that's fine no true okay well capitalism has ruined a lot of things art and human expression being one of them the we had we think that you have to make money for it to be worth time and art if you're bad at art is just as important as art or the best at art it's a part of what may like sets humans apart from animals this ability or this innate desire to express ourselves in certain ways yeah and, and talk about the experience what is what does it mean to be human and that's we capture that through art whether it be musically, visually, anything. But um, I think it's just very important to know that, like, you are going to want, or not even want, it, it's like you're at some point going to have that urge to do a creative endeavor and it might suck. It might be the worst fucking thing you'll ever hear in your life, but that's okay. That just means you're human. That's a normal experience to mm -hmm. have. And I guess also going off of that, I think it's kind of rude that we let kids make music public. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hate it. I hate, I hate that. I had said all of that. I said like, Oh yeah, don't judge people just to go like kids shouldn't be allowed to sh publicly make things. Because um, if you think of like a, your, a, a song you like, there's something that happened to that person that convinced them to write that song. And I don't know about you, but if a young person is writing some really emotionally moving music, I feel bad. I feel so bad because that means that something happened to that person to age them. And it's just like, I'm, I'm no longer caught up in the music. I'm worried. <laughs> I'm like, what happened to this person? Yeah, I think that's kind of the... But that's what I like about shit. Like, I like to feel concerned for the person I'm listening to. That's my shit. Well, I mean, yeah, but it's different when it's an adult that went through, like, an adult experience. It's kind of like, oh, now I'm just, like, fucking sad. Like, why did this 15-year-old write this song about, like, I don't know, like 
their family dying in a house fire and like how lonely they are and it's just like they're 15 they're still in school yeah i just think it's kind of interesting how i don't know i i I think it's interesting that that you can kind of i don't know how to put it other than like you can kind of I really don't even know how to articulate it other than you get to see the full breadth of these experiences and then the people who are actually experiencing this like at home have something to relate to if that makes sense like I don't think it's necessarily bad it, it's like even though these shitty things are happening and it's like a bummer to be like uh why are you going through this it's like well at least like like there was like like me when I was a kid I had you know I could cling on to like Pete Wentz's sappy whiny poetry because it felt like I was understood that kind of thing so I think it has a purpose. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but most of the music you're talking about was written by adults. Is what I'm what I'm getting at. Like, well, most of the shit that I've seen kids publish publicly that that they have like posted, it's like just embarrassing. It's not even sad. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's another thing. <laughs> like life ruiningly like, embarrassing. Um, God, I hate to do this. I have to look up who wrote, who has the writing credits for Re- Rebecca Black's Friday. Well, see, that's a whole can of worms because, like, well, I'm making sure she, she didn't. didn't write it. That's the whole yeah, can of worms okay. is because she just got recruited by these people. Like she, they just like were like, "Hey, child, we're going to capitalize off of you and actually ruin your life in the process." Like no one's going to take you seriously ever again, even though all you wanted was yeah. a music career. Like they lied to her. Yeah, it was like very deceitful. But uh, and I mean that's another thing. Like it's that's something also with like child actors is like, um, people always talk about how fucking miserable it is to act and do all of this, but are very okay with kids doing it like yeah i don't want to sound like i'm alleging macaulay culkin abused substances or anything but he looked rough for a while oh for sure and whether whether that was substance related or just like not taking care of himself because child actor related things uh it's just like this this like this like psychologically affects people oh for sure I don't think fame and being in the public eye is good for anybody. It's kind of like I was talking when I was talking to Trey in the last episode about how, like, the impact of, like, Billy Joe Armstrong's kids being in the public eye and how that kind of harmed them and made them, like, the way that they are and the reason that Joey did the things he did is probably because he, like, no one ever told him no. Like, that was just seeing the... It just comes with it when you are in the spotlight, like with your dad or whatever. And so, like these kids, he, even though mm. he, you know he himself wasn't famous, he didn't ask for it either way. And so, always being chased around, always being in the spotlight, they wanted to make up for it to have some kind of normal childhood or whatever. And they let him get away with everything. And so then he just never learned no, or like what what was appropriate yeah. and that kind of thing. So it, like. Even in like the worst of ways, like imaginable, like it 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 harms people for sure. And so I can see, I can see what you mean. Yeah, and uh, it's that's just 
one of those weird things where it's like protect the children but also like you can't really do anything about someone being famous and having kids and being a normal person outside of what they their day job basically for sure yeah that's a it's always a hard thing it's it's also weird because like they're full-grown people that get famous that it it, it just ruins them (laughs) yeah kurt cobain i is my favorite in a bad way example where somehow these this like really introspective emotional person wrote these songs and then blew up overnight and they and him not knowing how to handle that and it it's lasting effect into changing the way the band sounds entirely for in utero being full of just like absolutely gut-wrenching music and then he kills himself and it's just this like it, it looking back at it it seems like a really big like what the fuck holy shit just happened yeah. like wow you made a million something you made millions of dollars and i know that doesn't make anyone happy that's not my point with that but it's just like you you you've got financially successful enough off of one album to take a extended hiatus come back very sad from it write a very sad album and then proceed to get even more famous to the point where it just breaks you and it's just it's so like what yeah oh my god horrible 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 terrible vibes yeah but i mean there. You could, there was definitely some pre-existing uh, conditions. Oh, for sure. Yeah. With that. For sure. That's, a, that's another point. Is it? Some people get famous when they shouldn't. Not even saying that like hard work shouldn't go unrewarded or something like that. But like sometimes it's, it's just for the better. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for tuning in to Believers Never Die. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode and maybe learned something new. Um, if you want to find Randall, he is on Instagram at rcoolyhorn. And you can find him on Twitter at jiboverkill. Or also on Twitch as Jabroni Slayer. Um, yeah, and you can find me, as always, on Instagram and Twitter at where's her head. Um, thank you so much again, and I will see you next episode. Hey, put this in. Um, there's the famous David Lynch, like, Eraserhead is my first spiritual film. Care to elaborate on that? No.